I remember one of the last shows I did was for Sashin and Bobby, and this woman literally got off a plane from Africa. She was scouted, and from the elevator, we started unzipping her clothes to change her into the gown and like do her hair. We're sewing in her extensions. And then we literally push her off into the runway and she walks the runway. And it was the, I will never forget that moment. It was just crazy. That's amazing. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Assyrian Podcast. It's Ninorta bringing you episode number 140, and it's another story from Phoenix, Arizona with our guest, Lisa Kiorkis. Now, I remember when I first moved to Phoenix, I was told about this girl who's a hairstylist that worked in New York City's Fashion Week and was also a TV personality on the Food Network. That's amazing, right? So that's when I knew instantly that I need to meet Lisa to hear her story. Lisa is a Chicago native who prefers her title to be professional creative, and we'll get to hear why this title suits her very well. She is co-owner of Gemini of Chicago Hair Salon. She's a self-taught intimate dining chef, blog writer, recipe developer, YouTube personality for the page Seven Spice Life, and a Food Network TV personality. In this episode, you'll get to hear about Lisa's experience working in Fashion Week, her journey into the culinary world, and how she won Food Network's Cooks vs. Cons. Before we get to this week's interview, I want to remind you to make sure you subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us wherever you're listening to the podcast. Also, if you know someone who should be on the podcast, please reach out to us. You can find more information about nominating future guests on our website. This episode is sponsored by the Ushana Partners, a husband and wife real estate team. Are you considering purchasing or selling a home in Arizona or California? John and Rita are available to help make your next real estate decision into a seamless transaction. Contact the Ushanas at 209-968-9519. Get to know them a bit more by checking out their website, theushanapartners.com. The Assyrian Podcast is also brought to you by Tony Caligaracos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that's been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligracos. Tony's been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or at 847-982-9516. And now, here is Lisa Kiorkis. Can you tell us what's one word that describes you? (laughs) Multifaceted, I think. Okay. I would use. Very nice. Okay. Can you tell us about your childhood, where you grew up, how you were raised? So I'm from Chicago. I was born and raised in Chicago. My parents arrived in America, I'd say like a year before we were born. And um, we grew up in a very Assyrian household. We spoke only Surit Gubeta. Mm-hmm. And then um, in school, you know, we kind of grew up as equally Assyrian as we did American. Mm-hmm. So, In your biography, I had read that you prefer your title to be a professional creative. Why is that? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I started my creative background in hair. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that know me know me as a chef or a stylist, not as both. 
But honestly, I think creative people have their own kind of like mindset and how they approach things, not just this particular subject, food, right? Mm -hmm. Or hair or... So I went to school for design, fundamentals of design, and it's crazy how similar food and hair are. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of related that to a lot of things I do. Like my side hobbies are like home design and um, crafting, (laughs) you know, kind of like nerdy subjects like that. But but they all are interrelated. So to me, as long as I'm creating something with my hands, Mm -hmm. then that's part of my whole vibe, I Mm -hmm. guess. Yeah, that that title suits you very well. Professional creative. I like it. Took me a long time to get there, but I'm comfortable with it now. (laughs) Nice, nice. So you mentioned um, hairstylist. So let's kind of touch on that before we go into the culinary aspect of your life. Shoot. (laughs) Um, What made you choose to get into becoming a hairstylist and opening up your own business with your twin sister? Well, it took me a long time to get there, actually. I, my sister was always born to do hair. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the same. I actually applied for the University of Missouri and got in as a political science major. Wow. (laughs) I was going to do political journalism. Okay. That was my thing. Um, I quickly learned that that is not my thing (laughs) and came back home and kind of dabbled in school for a little bit and then decided, well, my mom was like, She'd already come to Arizona and she's like, please, Bratita, I miss my kids. Mm -hmm. And we were already like 19 pursuing like our creative futures, if Mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. And that's when the idea kind of sprung on me. Like, you know, I could do hair. And and since my mind is kind of like a little bit left-brained, maybe I can turn it into a business for our family. So we Mm -hmm. started talking about that. And we convinced Laura, who was already doing hair in Chicago, Mm -hmm. that's my twin, Mm -hmm. to come out here so that we can start this journey. And it kind of like all fell into place. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't always confident at being a hairdresser, but when she came here, taught me everything she knew. Mm -hmm. Um, It took me years to build on that confidence. But once I did, then like I owned that profession as my career Mm -hmm. and it it took off. It it went very well for me. Mm -hmm. What's been your biggest struggle with running your own business? Um, running my own business. That is the biggest struggle. (laughs) No, it is, it is one of the hardest jobs I've ever done. And I've kind of dabbled in a lot of side careers throughout my, um, adult life. Mm -hmm. But honestly, it's managing and doing all the things on the sidelines that a consumer or customer never, ever see. Mm -hmm. So it is a huge challenge. One that I still, am forced to be challenged on every Mm -hmm. single day. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about Gemini of Chicago Hair Salon. Well, um, I'm very proud of it. You know, it it wasn't just all my doing or my mother's doing or my sister's doing. It really took all of us to make it happen. And we've been in business 15 years, mashallah. Amazing. Yes. And I thank God every day for that because... In the industry, in the hair industry, it's very um, rare that a salon lasts as long as we do and stays steady with growth and mm-hmm. potential as long as we have. Mm-hmm. Obviously, COVID was a huge mm-hmm. shocker to everybody, and you know we felt that in a big way. But we've been lucky, you know. We we built something good, we made it strong, and we knew how to treat people. That was what we knew when we started. But we didn't know how to run a business when we started. Mm-hmm. Nothing. We, mm-hmm. you know, it was a mom and pop shop when we first opened and mm-hmm. we could quickly adapted 
and started growing in a way that made us feel like we were building on something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. So what is your role currently at Gemini of Chicago here? <laughs> I wear many hats. <laughs> Since Laura, um, my sister, started a family, she has two boys who I'm obsessed with. <laughs> but since she did that, I kind of took on more responsibility so that she can still do hair. Um, but I basically run the operation side of the business. Mm -hmm. I train, I hire, I educate you know, everything from payroll to seminars to team building nights, I kind of organize and, and, and beyond mm -hmm. ordering, etc. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, I'm also behind the chair three days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of do, do it all, but with the help of my teammates, of yeah, course, <laughs> of course, what makes Gemini of Chicago unique to compared to other hair salons? Well, this I get from what our customers say. Mm -hmm. I've in all the 15 years, I've never stopped hearing the words, you guys are like a team here. And it sounds cliche, but honestly, when you treat your staff like they are your team instead of you pointing fingers and bossing people around, that's mm -hmm. the vision we try to have is that we're leaders, not bosses. Mm -hmm. And so I think it, it's a trickle down effect. When you come in positive and you treat others the way they should be treated with respect and dignity and kindness, mm -hmm. then they pass it on to their customers and, and we pass it on to each other as a team. Mm -hmm. It really kind of feeds off the vibe of the salon. So I think the vibe, people remember the experience. There are plenty of really good hairdressers all over the state, all over the country and the world, but um, how you make someone feel when they, from the moment they sit down to the moment they leave is what we concentrate on the most. Mm -hmm. I was reading somewhere that says that your salon is known in the salon industry as a summit salon. So can you tell us about that? What does yes. that mean? <laughs> so a summit salon is just like, a, well, Summit Salon Academy and Summit Salon Consulting is a group we decided to join about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. maybe more like 12 years ago. Like I said, when we first started, we were 22, if mm -hmm. that. We knew nothing about running the business aspect of a salon. Mm -hmm. So they came in and taught us, I mean, even the smallest thing, like how to balance a drawer <laughs> <laughs> and how to train our staff and how to get them on a career path because our salon isn't each stylist on their own and do whatever you want. We train them to make a career and to build a life from being a hairdresser. It's not the world of hairdressing from the 80s. Mm -hmm. You can actually make a career out of a trade, and we pride ourselves on that. Mm -hmm. So um, Summit taught us how to run the business mm -hmm. and not just do hair. Yeah, I was reading somewhere that Summit Salon means that you have a specific training program for your staff, so that's, that's very unique compared to other salons where it's kind of you know, pass down whatever you've learned in your previous schooling. Absolutely. Um, we're, you know, the, the younger stylists that are fresh out of beauty school seek us out for our training program. And it is an excellent program. It's very hands-on and, um, we teach them everything about from the moment a client sits down to beyond and, and we give them the confidence to lead behind their own chair once they graduate out of that program into becoming their own full-fledged hairstylist. So mm -hmm. it's wonderful. I'm very proud of it. And, and the group, it's not cheap to own, you know, to have a consultant. Mm -hmm. And we've had them for 12 years. So 
we know, but it's worth every penny to us and it's helped us so, so much. I can't say enough about it. That's awesome. That's really great. You have trained in Los Angeles, New York City, and have worked two seasons of the New York Fashion Week. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I I was in New York during Fashion Week for work, just the hotel industry, and I've seen how intense it gets. It's super intense. Um, You're running from place to place, from show to show. And although I did two seasons, I think I did about 10 shows or eight shows. I'm not sure. It was a while back, but um, that was my dream. You know, Mm -hmm. when I was younger, I was like, I'm going to be a fashion designer. I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to be this, that, (laughs) something creative. Right. Mm -hmm. But I said, I will make it to fashion week for something. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, but I will get there. Mm -hmm. And I trained in New York as an associate. So I was just like an assistant, but for some of the best hairstylists in the whole world. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, it's a salon that's still around. It's called Cutler. And it was a fantastic short time I was there, but um, I lived there, I worked there, and I got first-hand experience of what it means to be on that level. And it was insane, and I loved every moment of it. But Fashion <laughs> Week is crazy. It's it's so much fun. It's so nerve-wracking, and it's everything you think it is. Like it's just like the movies. <laughs> Literally, you're, I remember one of the last shows I did was for Sashin and Bobby, and this woman literally got off a plane from Africa. She was scouted, and from the elevator, we started unzipping her clothes to change her into the gown and like do her hair. We're sewing in her extensions, and then we literally push her off into the runway, and she walks the runway. And it was the I will never forget that moment. Wow. It was just crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> From airplane to runway. Literally from airplane to (laughs) runway. (laughs) I love it. Okay, Lisa, let's kind of jump into uh, the culinary aspect of your life. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners love hearing about food. As do I love talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) So at one point, did you realize that food was your passion? Honestly, I've been obsessed with food since I was a kid. (laughs) My grandparents came from Iraq when... I was like 11 or 12, mm-hmm. and I only had a very short time with my grandpa. My Baba Isha was in his 60s, and he passed away short, a short time later. Mm-hmm. But he was a chef, and he used to cook on the um, ships in Iraq and for the government. He was forced to cook for them. Mm-hmm. But when he came, I learned so much from him, and he was not just cooking Assyrian food. He'd learned a lot of English-style food and, and French technique, and I was fascinated by it. So mm-hmm. I've been, I've been, I think I've been cooking since. So you are a self-taught chef and had your culinary training in Paris, France. What was that experience like? Well, um, Paris is magical, and you immediately fall in love, or you hate it. <laughs> okay. I absolutely fell head over heels in love with Paris. It's a relationship I will never break up with. (laughs) (laughs) The first time I went to Paris, I knew I was in a culinary landscape that, you know, is what it is. Everyone knows it's the place to be. And in all kinds of cooking, there are French techniques adapted. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how many different ways that I relate to French cooking techniques, even when I'm making shorwa. Really? Yes. So, Can you elaborate on that a little bit? 
Well, um, the Assyrian American Cultural Organization of Arizona invited me to teach uh, a class. Mm -hmm. And so the recipe I chose was shorwet lubia mm -hmm. or fasolia, mm -hmm. however you want to say it. And the style I used was... I'm not to knock on Assyrians. I love you guys. I learned cooking from my mom, my grandpa, and everything. But when you boil meat, <laughs> it's like one of my all-time pet peeves. And so I was like, how can I approach this in a way that they will absorb what I'm saying and not be immediately disgusted? Because mm -hmm. I think Assyrians, we as a people... We love everything to be so clean mm -hmm. that you've washed out any nutrient from any of the dishes you're making, <laughs> which is fine. You know, you do you, and uh, the food is still delicious, but it's it's just not necessary in some recipes. Like when you're stewing meat for hours and hours at a time, when you sear the meat instead of boil it, you're going to lock in all that flavor and, mm -hmm. the, and the tenderness of the meat. Mm -hmm. When you boil meat, it seizes up. Mm -hmm. So not to get too educational here, mm -hmm. but but the French technique of searing meat first and then stewing it or braising it over a long period of time, the flavor is ridiculously, insanely good. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of something I wanted to bring to the table. Okay. Or, you know, um, deglazing your pot with a hit of acid, which means either vinegar, which Assyrians do, or white wine, which Assyrians are like, wine? Why would you put wine in shorwa? But try it. It's amazing. I promise you'll love it. <laughs> it layers the flavor. It gives depth to your dish. It mm. creates something magical in the pot when it's cooking. So those are the little kinds of ways French techniques enter into my daily cooking style or my yeah. in my teachings. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I remember when we, when we uh, AACO did that class with you and you did mention those, those things. So it was very informative. Great. That makes me very happy. Okay, let's go back to Paris, France and your, your experience there. Yes. So how was that like? So um, I originally had signed up for like this really intensive training program um, at a school. And it was for professional chefs. And six weeks before I hopped the plane, I bought my ticket. I reserved everything, my flat from a friend I was renting out. And they told me it's canceled <laughs> because they were doing this huge event called Taste of Paris. And I was like, oh, great. They're canceling my class for this festival. What is this? So I Google Taste of Paris and I was like, oh, I have to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, I went to Ecole d'Alain Ducasse, which is a, um, it's an Alain Ducasse cooking school. And they have these like eight hour cooking courses. And you would think, oh, like I'm not going to waste my day on like this novice or sorry, rookie cooking class. But the French cooking class for everyday home chefs is like what you would teach professional chefs here in the States. Mm -hmm. It's very intense. Um, everything from deboning an entire chicken. And when you pick up a chicken at a French market, it comes with everything but the feathers. Okay. And I'm talking beak, feet, wings, everything. <laughs> so I learned in this average everyday cooking class how to debone a chicken from scratch. And mm -hmm. it was insanely awesome. And we learned techniques that I knew were very, very professional. And I did three courses, which was like 24 hours, and they give you this certificate. And it was, it was amazing. So I, I loved it. And then I've worked in restaurants my whole adult life. So that was another thing I, I brought with me into my culinary world mm -hmm. that I use every single day. So now you, you have your own blog. It's called Seven Spice Life. Why did you choose this name? You can ask my twin. Okay. <laughs> I have to consult with her on everything I do before I do it. 
No, Laura actually came up with it because I was like, I need something that defines the style of cooking, but I don't want it to compartmentalize me into this specific thing. Mm-hmm. So she said, what about Seven Spice Life? Because Seven Spices is something we cook with all the time in Assyrian food, Middle mm-hmm. Eastern food, but it also can mean anything. Like it's a, a varied program that you're giving out to the world. You know, you can apply it to kind of mm-hmm. mean like it's a whole wide range of cooking mm-hmm. and it's ethnic and global and you can kind of dip your toes in this kind of cuisine or that kind of cuisine. And and I love it. It works. Mm-hmm. What's included in Seven Spice? In a typical baharat mix? typical seven spice, yes. Uh, well, <laughs> this is like a riddle that I try to remember every day. <laughs> Cumin, clove, coriander, black pepper, allspice. Um, what am I missing? There's something... A, a pinch of nutmeg. And then there's usually seven spices, and depending on if it's a Lebanese seven spice, if mm. it's Egyptian, if it's from different parts of the Middle East... People add their own. Like mm-hmm. fenugreek is very common in specific regions. Mine has a few secret ingredients I add to the mix. Mm-hmm. So it's not technically seven spices. We'll we'll get to that conversation <laughs> okay. of, your, of your special seven spice. Okay. <laughs> in your blog, you write that food is a vehicle to get people to connect to each other. When you eat with people, differences become less important. Can you explain more about that? Absolutely. So um, the reason why I am so passionate about what I do isn't, I mean, I love to cook, but it's more so to break bread at the table. Mm -hmm. And that is something all of us growing up, I think, had a very deeply rooted um, cultural upbringing in that kind of life. Food is where we sit down together and we become family. Mm -hmm. That's to me how I see it Mm -hmm. because you're busy in your everyday lives. But when you come to the table, I mean, I don't remember ever going to any Assyrian household where everything stopped for the food Mm -hmm. and you all gathered around and came to the table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I love being American too, but it's not the same (laughs) in American homes. You know, people will eat standing up watching TV Mm -hmm. and that would never happen in my family growing up. Mm -hmm. We all came together. It was like loud and fun and there was so much conversation. Um, So for me, especially now in a climate where political differences and all kinds of controversial topics come up, Food is the one thing we can all agree on, Mm -hmm. I think. And even if you're debating it, it's usually in a healthy and fun, productive kind of way. Yeah. So for me, no matter what your differences are, when we come together at the table, that's where it's peaceful to me. Mm -hmm. Even the the chaos is peaceful and and enjoyable. So that's it. (laughs) Absolutely. I think a lot of Assyrian families can can relate to that. In your blog, you also write um, a few rules that I cook by. That you cook by. Yes. <laughs> can you can you tell us about these rules? Oh, let's see if I remember them. I know mise en place is one mise of them. Mise en place is one of them, yes. <laughs> Which what, for what, those, what does that mean? It means everything has its place. Mm-hmm. So when I cook, I like to be as organized as possible. You know, prep all your vegetables, cut them up, and put them in little compartments so that when you're at the stove, you're not going back and stopping and burning your pot mm-hmm. while you're cooking mm-hmm. or having your spices out and ready to go. That's mise en place. And every chef in every restaurant lives by that number one rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything in its place. And please, 
please keep your knives sharp. <laughs> okay, that is another one, yes. I think um, Assyrian mothers are so good at cooking, but sharpening their knives is not one thing they remember to do or care about, but you should care about it. We should all care about sharpening our knives. A dull knife is not a safe knife, and so keeping your knives sharp keeps you safe in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. This is a conversation I have with my mom all the time it, that it her knives are never crazy. sharp enough. <laughs> there's there's a section in your blog labeled city guides. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I, I, it's so funny you mentioned that today because just today I was like, it's been a while since I've opened this <laughs> section of my blog up. I was like, let's read it and see if it still sounds okay to me. Mm-hmm. Pre-COVID, I was very passionate about this little tab in my blog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Post-COVID, I have not gone anywhere. And I am itching to travel mm-hmm. because I think it's equally as important to me for my food world to travel. But um, the city guides was so important to me because I think when you go to other cities and you taste their food, you really get to know the people, the culture, everything about that place through their food. So I wanted to make sure to include city guides so that people, when they go somewhere, they have a sense of the lay of the land through the food. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know when I go to other cities, that's the first thing I want to do is look up the best restaurants, Mm -hmm. where the markets are. And one of my absolute favorite things to do when I travel is go to their supermarkets and their, their stores to look for spices and handmade pastas and Mm -hmm. things like that, Mm -hmm. that you can't get anywhere else. So that's why I did the city guides. And I hope, cross your fingers, everyone, that we'll all get to travel easily next Mm -hmm. year. (laughs) So for for those listeners that haven't gone on your blog yet, they can go in on 7spicelife.com, right? And then under city guides, it's pretty much a food guide of all of the cities that you've traveled to and the places that you've eaten at and your recommendations of where to go and yes. things like that. Yes. So my style of doing the city guides is break down into neighborhoods or regions of the city. Mm-hmm. And then within those little breakups, give you the best places to eat and what to do when you're there. Nice. Yeah. So like in Mexico City, I break it down by Polanco and Roma and all those little neighborhoods in Mexico City that are absolutely amazing. If you guys haven't been to Mexico City, you must put it on your bucket list. It's incredible, especially for the food. Mm -hmm. But I break down like you can eat at this taco place. And then if you want a romantic dinner, go here. But while you're in this neighborhood, visit these places like Trotsky House and Mm -hmm. Frida Kahlo's house and things like that. So I not only give you food, but I tell you like what's around so that you can have a whole day doing whatever you want to do. Amazing. What are some... um locations besides Mexico City that you have on, on under city guides? Right now, it's just Paris and Mexico City. Okay. And my next one I'm going to do is Hawaii. Okay. But um, because Hawaii, people ask me about it all the time. And yeah. it, it honestly is paradise on earth. <laughs> yeah. It's so beautiful, but there's so much to eat and see and do there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. Looking forward to reading about that then. Yes, we can all kind of travel in our minds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What are some common mistakes that you see people make in the kitchen? Oh, um, you know, I want to do a series just on that, like how to avoid Mm -hmm. kind of mishaps in the kitchen. Um, The number one thing for me is seasoning Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other Food Network judges. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep them in your head. This 
You know, you should taste as you're cooking. Yeah. Absolutely taste as you're cooking. And you should season the whole time you're cooking. For those of you that think adding salt at the end, oh, people can just add salt to their plate. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Season as you cook, please. People will love you for it. And taste what you're... And taste, yes. yeah, taste along while you're cooking. Yes, Ninorta, that is very important. You can't just season and not taste it because then you don't know if you need to add more or leave it alone. But um, that and regulating temperature. Mm-hmm. So if you're searing meat, turn it back down when you want to go to saute your vegetables, mm-hmm. etc. You want to be watching your heat the whole time you're cooking, yep. especially like for frying because your temperature could get lowered when you put in really cold frozen food that you want to fry mm-hmm. and then you have to regulate that temperature by turning it up mm-hmm. and vice versa when you're making a soup and you want to simmer it mm-hmm. turn it all the way down low and slow <laughs> so just remember to check your temperature okay things like that good to know let's let's touch on the line of spices that you that you released your seven spice yes season my, my little baby your little baby <laughs> So that was born out of necessity, really. I think that I was getting a lot of people asking me, even Assyrians, which I was surprised that a lot of people that are learning how to cook had never really heard of seven spices or baharat. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, Katrine, a lot of Assyrians who are into food know the Facebook group, which if you don't, please join it. It's so excellent. It's like a wealth of information. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can you tell us what's the name of that of the Facebook group? Assyrian, Assyrian cooking, cooking Group. Yeah. I, I believe it's Assyrian Cooking Group. Katrine Shabazz and a, a few other moderators and admins are are a fantastic group of ladies that have come up with this, and they're so close to hitting twenty thousand joiners. Amazing. So if you haven't joined, please join it. But um, it's a wealth of information, and what I saw from it was so many different people like, can you tell me what's in a seven spice mix, or how do I get it, or where do I find it? And I grew up always hearing the word baharat, 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 mm-hmm. from my aunts, my mom, my grandpa, everybody. Mm-hmm. But when I started putting these recipes out there, people were like, where can I find this? And I'm like, well, the local Assyrian or Arab market or, or Amazon, but I was like, wait a minute. I know that I can make this really good. Mm-hmm. And when it's a tiny little two and a half ounce jar packed, I pack it really tight. It's full. But Assyrians are used to putting a ton of baharat in their cooking because it's full of preservatives. It's probably been sitting on the shelf for months and it's been shipped from who knows where. Mm-hmm. But I toast all the spices whole. Most of them, where I can find, are organic. It's free from preservatives. Um, and so when you are through with it, you can replenish your stock. But when you open that jar for the first time, it punches you in the face mm-hmm. with smell and flavor and this earthy, cinnamony, like beautiful aroma of those seven spices. Mm-hmm. And you know you don't need a ton of it mm-hmm. to produce the same flavor you would when you're cooking like a kari or, you know, potato chops mm-hmm. or budake. Mm-hmm. Whatever you need, you only need a little bit of it. It's so packed with just beautiful aroma. Mm-hmm. And I can vouch for that because my sister and I did purchase um, awesome. a couple of, a couple of um, <laughs> containers of Seven Spice. And um, there's there's a chicken rub one, right? Yes. 
And then what's the other one? I forgot. The other one is the seven spice blend. Is the seven spice, yes. Yes. And I'm coming out with a third one. Really? That I think will be very beneficial and useful for people. But I'm not ready yet to release it. Okay. (laughs) Coming soon, folks. Coming soon, yeah. (laughs) Okay, great. Um, So they can actually... Anybody that's interested in these in these seasonings or spices, they can order them from your blog. Correct? Yes. The blog is Seven Spice Life, all spelled out. It's not mm-hmm. the number seven. Mm-hmm. But there is a Shop the Boutique mm-hmm. section. And don't worry, I'll be adding more stuff to that boutique, quote unquote, <laughs> even though there's only the two spices right now. <laughs> but um, Or you can purchase it straight through Instagram, mm-hmm. which is also Seven Spice Life. Awesome. So let's let's talk on your experience being on the Food Network. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You won. <laughs> you know, I can't help but turn red when people bring up the Food Network. <laughs> so for, for our listeners outside of the U.S., the Food Network is a channel in itself on cable television that is just about food. So they have different shows about like cooking and about competitions and things like that. Apparently, the whole world gets Food Network because what? someone from Egypt messaged me like, I just watched you. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I think certain countries get it through Netflix. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Or, or like other on-demand streaming services, but they do get it. I was like crazy flabbergasted when I found out that all these other countries have Food Network. Okay, good to to know. (laughs) Yes. It's not just the U.S. Um, So you were on two shows. Yes. Tell us about your experience on both of them. What were the shows? What was the competition like? Okay, so the first show was called Cooks vs. Cons, and Mm -hmm. I believe they had uh, like four or five seasons. I was on the fourth season, Mm -hmm. and it was by complete surprise my sister Laura again everything runs through her (laughs) she was like you need to apply for this show I know you can get on and I know you'll do well Mm -hmm. um and I was like yeah 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 whatever and she just went online and like filled everything out as if she was me Mm -hmm. she submitted pictures she put my info in there wow and then after she's like oh by the by you might get a call from Food Network (laughs) I was like what She's like, yeah. So months went by and then I, you know, I used to live in New York. We just talked Mm -hmm. about that. And Mm -hmm. I saw a New York area code and I was like, geez, is this my ophthalmologist calling to schedule my eye appointment? I've already told them I moved. So I'm like, hello. (laughs) And they're like, hi, this is so-and-so from the Food Network. And I was like, what? I had totally forgotten because like two or three months went by. And my heart instantly started pounding. Um, and they said, we want you to um, see if you can be a candidate for becoming a cast person on the show. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, sure, let's check it out. And then we went through all these callbacks. I passed every one of them. And the most intense one was like I had to cook a dish and have it ready for when they zoomed me in on the call. And it was like a test. I had to like chop an onion. They wanted to see how my, my knife skills. Okay. And um, I had to show them a recipe I made, and I chose a very hard one. I don't know why I did, but I did. And it worked out very well. What was the recipe? Do you remember? I did a shakshuka style, or sorry, a yep. bio, uh, what, what do we call it? Why am I forgetting? It, it is shakshuka. Yeah. yeah. I did a shakshuka style eggs benedict. Okay. But it was like a fancy bio tomate. Okay. <laughs> and when they were like cut into the egg now, and that is like the ultimate test of a chef. 
Yeah. Is the egg yolk going to slowly ooze down or is it going to be the solidified, hard, gross thing? <laughs> and it was perfect. Nice. Um, so I felt really good about it. Nice. And then they told me, you made the show. Awesome. So the show is called Cooks versus Cons. Yes. What does that mean? Why Cooks versus Cons? Everyone's like, are you competing against con artists? Yeah. <laughs> People that went to jail, convicts? I'm like, no. <laughs> the con part, yes, con artist in a sense, in that you're conning the judges into believing you're a professional cook. Wow. And at the time, I was only cooking as a hobby um, on the side. Okay. So... They said you'd be a perfect contestant because you're a hairdresser by day and kind of like a cook mm -hmm. on your spare time. Yeah. And so I was competing against two professional cooks and me and another woman were the cons. Okay. Did you win? Well, <laughs> the cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> but yes, I took first place. I, I won first place in both rounds and... Um, and when they announced me as the winner, I was actually still shocked because you just never know how it's yeah. going to go. <laughs> You're competing against two professional chefs. Yes. And I was super nervous to the, I, I've said this story before, but I was so nervous that the cameraman like stopped what he was doing right before they said action at one of the, the points in filming. Because when you cook, when you have that 30 minutes to cook, there is no stopping. That is true. They say action. You have 30 minutes to cook for your life. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, this is the moment of truth. I better cook my butt off. <laughs> so um, they're like counting down and the cameraman like moves to the side away from the camera. And he's like, are you okay? You, you kind of look like you're going to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I was okay. And I cooked my butt off. And, and yes, I won. So what was the dish that you cooked then? On the show. I decided to go fully Middle Eastern. No matter what they threw at me, I was going to make it have an Assyrian twist or like, you know, Middle Eastern twist because mm -hmm. that's not common and I know it very well. Mm -hmm. And so um, the final dish I made was a chicken and waffles. But I took my Chicago upbringing and kind of mixed it in with my Middle Eastern roots. So mm -hmm. I did a hummus waffle and i know that sounds crazy but i i made it a savory waffle and it had tahini in it and it had sesame seeds and a little bit of garlic and then um i did like a spicy honey mm -hmm. and i fried the chicken in all middle eastern spices and it was actually really really delicious wow that sounds amazing <laughs> yes i, I was I'm proud of that hungry. one <laughs> <laughs> i'm starving <laughs> okay so that was cooks versus cons that was your first time on the food network yes and then you went back for another show, Supermarket Stakeout, right? Yes, yes. I actually just recently did Supermarket Stakeout. It was last year, January, right before mm -hmm. COVID hit. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> you can tell the difference of night and day of me feeling comfortable behind the camera. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first one, I still to this day get made fun of for how cheesy and corny I was, which is why I turn red every time someone <laughs> talks about it. And the second one, I was way more comfortable. I had been around the block mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I got this, you know, I, I, the cat's in the bag. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, but the second one was supermarket stakeout and Alex Grinichelli is the judge on that. So I was really excited about that. And the stakes were upped because you're cooking in a parking lot in a grocery store. Oh. <laughs> So what what's what is the part of that show? Like what what do you do in that show? Um, the premise is there's four contestants, all pro chefs or pro cooks, and you cook 
you shop blindly. So when customers are leaving the grocery store, you're you're like offering them all kinds of money for their bags. Oh. You don't know what's in the bag until you take it back to your station and pull it out. And they give you a challenge, like let's say it's Italian Asian fusion, okay, which was our first round. <laughs> and you're like, okay, what the heck am I supposed to make? And you open the bag and you've got all this stuff and you're like, I can make 8 million things. And then the pressure's on because you have 30 minutes mm -hmm. and you have to outcook everybody mm -hmm. and come up with a dish that's on theme, but also super creative. Wow. Yeah. It's, it really messes with your mind. <laughs> so you don't know what's in that grocery cart that you No, described. at least not for the first round. You're literally buying the, the grocery as is, the cart as so is. So it could be just... Cereal and milk and cheese and just... I think the first round, someone got like a whole shopping cart of cookies. <laughs> <laughs> and not different cookies, like one type of cookie, oh, but it gosh. was like a shopping cart full of them. Wow. <laughs> okay, so that was the first round. Yes. And then what does the second round entail? Um, the second round, you could see what you're buying, so you get to look inside, okay. um, but you can only buy once. So in the other rounds, like if you get a shopping cart full of cookies, you're, you, you can go back and buy more. But yeah. this one, you, you can see inside, so you only get one chance to buy. Yeah. And the third round, you can only buy five ingredients. I see. Okay. Yes. And if you're out of money by that round, well, you're kind of out of luck. Okay. Has that show aired? Can you give us the... 411 is the result <laughs> of that show or no? It has aired. Um, okay. It was kind of a letdown. I, I made it all the way to the very end. Okay. And I loved my co-contestant, Gail. She was so sweet and so fun to work with, but she ended up taking the crown. Nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was really happy for her. You know, I had my moment of glory on the first episode, yeah. uh, the first show I did, but, yeah. but um, it was toe-to-toe -to -toe competition. And, you know, of course my friends are like, you were robbed, <laughs> but Again, it's TV. You never know which way they're going to go. And I cooked my heart out, but I also was like, oh, I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently. Yeah. So what was in your grocery cart and what did you what did you end up making? So I won't go into every single dish I made just mm -hmm. for, you know, not to bore you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we don't mind. One of my favorite ones was I did, I got a bag of clams and I was like, I've never cooked a clam in my life. What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. But I know that a clam is cooked once the shell opens. Okay. And I know how I love to eat them, which is in a brothy, vinegary, somewhat spicy, somewhat sweet kind of broth. Mm -hmm. And the the theme was Asian fusion. So I did a Thai-style clams. And I knew... So the judge... One of the judges was Jet Tila, who I love. He's a really great chef. And I was like, I, I'm scared to do this because it is Thai. And he is like the ultimate judge on what he's going to think about this. Mm -hmm. And he loved it. So, nice. I mean, they, they edit the show. So, But when I got feedback from him, it was so positive. I was so thrilled. And I was just like dying to taste it, but I couldn't. I did get to taste the broth when I was cooking it. Yeah. And it, it was delicious. And that was one of my favorites. That is awesome that you've been a part of the Food Network twice. Are there plans to go on more shows on the Food Network? Uh, I would love them to have me again. <laughs> I, I would hope so. Okay. I would hope so. I think that um, it's fun and people love it, actually, and I love it. It's really fun to be behind the camera and kind of 
get into movie production, film production, and mm-hmm. show production. It's it's great, and I enjoy it. And so. competing as well. <laughs> the and competing winning. is stressful. <laughs> But stress, as I say in the show, stress is like a part of my everyday nature. So there you go. <laughs> it is. It is fun. That's awesome. So with so many projects that you have going on, what do you do to decompress? Oh, <laughs> um, you know, to be honest, I have to learn how to decompress more. I think that I say this all the time, especially when I'm talking to friends that grew up similar similarly. Children of immigrants tend to have this like all hustle and no, they don't know how to relax <laughs> because it's been ingrained in our bloods, this like really strong work ethic. Go, and go, go. Go, go, go. Yes. And I think that we, even if we are secure on paper in every other aspect, in our brains, we're like, we, we need to be better. We need to do this better. We need to always make sure there's more and more and more. And that's just because our parents have always worked very hard for us, wanted the best for us. But it's hard to learn how to slow down and smell the roses. Mm-hmm. So I actually put it in my vision this year that I want to learn how to slow down more and appreciate downtime. Mm-hmm. I don't have downtime. <laughs> you don't, no, because you're constantly posting on Instagram or creating content on YouTube or on your blog and then you're working at the hair salon. So yes. And it is, you know, social media is a necessary evil. I think, yeah, I wish I could just take pauses. You can't, you take a pause for one day and then you're out of people's radar. And then it takes you a lot of work to build that back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to constantly be on top of it if you want to bring it to people. And I truly enjoy teaching people and giving them that vehicle to learn. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, you do have to slow down or you'll get burnt out. Yeah, that's true. We don't want that happening. No. (laughs) (laughs) So in your bio, it says that you're an avid film buff. What's your favorite film and why? I cannot choose just one favorite film ever. But um, one of my all-time favorite classics, and it sounds cliche, but it is Goodfellas. Love it. It's an amazing film. A, the food. (laughs) B, the acting. And C, just the style of cinematography is what attracted me the most to that film. Mm -hmm. Every scene is shot so beautifully. And it's Martin Scorsese, of course. And and it's just such a beautiful classic movie. Um, But recently, films like Parasite and The Sound of Metal, which is currently on the Oscars list right now, Mm -hmm. was one of my favorite films I've seen so far. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. You guys should watch it if you get the chance. And um, a food movie that I really, really love. Actually, one of um, my fellow Assyrians recommended it to me. Adad, he's a filmmaker based out of um, the Bay Area. And he, if you guys don't follow Adad, Adad Joel Warda is his name. And he is making all kinds of stuff in film. He's wonderful. But he said, have you seen The Big Night? It's one of my favorite movies. And I looked it up and I was like, I'm putting it on my list to watch. And I instantly fell in love with the movie. It's a beautiful movie about two Italian immigrants who come to the States and they have a restaurant and and the relationship between food and the family and everything. It's just a beautiful movie. Um, And then the last one on my list that I'll get to right now is called Minari. It's about a Korean immigrant family. And I I want to watch it before the Oscars because Mm -hmm. it, it looks just so poignant and beautiful 
and so relatable to us because most of us are first generation. Yeah, that's awesome. Now I have to put those on my list to watch. (laughs) (laughs) I could go on and on. I really am a film nerd. So Lisa, we have listeners worldwide. What's one thing that you want to say to them? Just as an ending note. Oh, well, um, firstly, thank you so much for what you're doing here. I think it's important to really make that known because it's a podcast and you probably started it out of fun and, and why, why did you start it, Ninorta? Let's turn the microphone around here. <laughs> well, I didn't start it. Um, my colleagues, Steve Netness and Adessa Kariakos started it and they kind of brought in co-hosts from all over and we have John Jenza from Chicago, Rhoda from Detroit, yes, myself right. okay. in Arizona, so it, um, Jesse from um, Germany, so we're kind of all over. Nina's from Australia. <laughs> I have to give everybody a shout out. Peter from California. <laughs> Miriam just joined from Erbil. So we have um, co-hosts from all over. So we want, the whole point is to kind of get those stories out there. Unique stories of Assyrians that have done awesome, cool stuff um, for Assyrians or just for themselves. That it's a cool story to, to kind of document and archive for the future. I mean, you said that so beautifully, and that is my exact point here. My message to all of you is let's keep creating Mm -hmm. because we are so strong in numbers. We are a beautiful people, and I think it's people like you and like Catherine of Cardamom and Tea Mm -hmm. and, and me and Joel who's making film and all these Assyrians that are tapping into their creative energy and sharing it with the world. Mm -hmm. And my point here is go teach, create, do, and make it known that you're doing it because we are a small community in diaspora, but we in numbers on the internet and globally through social media and through our creative outlets can really spread knowledge and share with the world who we are. And I think that's my biggest takeaway from all of this and what I'd like to give as a message. Mm -hmm. That was very beautifully said, Lisa. Thank you. I love you you all. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the Assyrian Podcast. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm actually really honored that you asked me to do this. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. You can follow Lisa's culinary journey on her blog at www.7spicelife.com. I want to remind you to make sure you subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us wherever you're listening. Also, if you know someone who should be on the podcast, please reach out to us. You can find out more information about nominating future guests on our website.